Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer Radio Show, brought to you by Tractor Supply, where we give away more chicken coops and chicken-related prizes than anyone else on the planet. We are often imitated, but never duplicated. My name is Andy Snyder, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, national spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds program, and editor-in-chief of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Today is Thursday, May 22nd. I'd like to thank all of you for tuning in this afternoon on Blog Talk Radio. This is a live radio show that is broadcast around the world. This radio show is all about keeping backyard poultry, show poultry, and living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Each week, I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, and living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to visit our website, chickenwhisperer.com, or you can follow us on Twitter and become a fan on Facebook. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tractor Supply. When you need an incubator, think Brensi, the incubation specialist. Brensi has been a world-leading manufacturer of incubators for over 30 years. Incubators from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity control and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Visit them online at Brensi.com. Brincy spelled B-R-I-N-S-E-A. That's Brincy.com or call 1-888-667-7009. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and save 10% on their incubators, brooders, egg candlers, and other incubation accessories. When you need an incubator, think Brincy. Technology you can trust. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer here, and I would like to take a moment to tell you all about the great chicken coops over at Woodtex Products. Woodtex Products manufactures, sells, and delivers chicken coops nationwide. They have been in the building business for over 31 years, so they know their stuff. Their chicken coops are built to last and withstand any type of weather. They're portable durable, stylish, and come in many different sizes. Their chicken coops can be purchased fully assembled or as kits. Check out Woodtex products online at www.woodtex.com and see for yourself what all the clucking is about. Order a chicken coop in April or May and receive $175 in upgrades for free. Remember, that's www.woodtex.com. Introducing the Chicken Fountain, a new way to water your flock. The Chicken Fountain will change your life and keep your chickens healthier by providing clean, fresh water every time. No more daily cleaning of dirty chicken waterers. This semi-sealed system keeps every drop of water fresh and clean. 
proudly made in the USA, the Chicken Fountain will provide your flock with fresh, clean water for years to come. To order your Chicken Fountain, visit chickenfountain.com. That's chickenfountain.com. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. All righty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. You're very glad you are joining us today on this Thursday. Uh, of May the 22nd. So we've got a great show lined up for you today. We've got Richard Frudenberger, publisher of Back Home Magazine. Today's topic is all about root cellars. So a timely topic here with spring and uh, with the hot heat coming on and and the importance of having a a root cellar. So uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about that today. I want to let everybody uh, know and a little reminder that uh, we do broadcast here Monday through Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, There will be no show, as always, tomorrow being Friday, and there will be no show this coming Monday. Uh, We want to uh, give all of our listeners the opportunity to spend some time with uh, family and friends and and realize why uh, we celebrate this coming Monday, Memorial Day. So uh, keep that in mind when you're barbecuing, having hot dogs and the hamburgers what the, uh, the the real reason for uh, the day is, um, and uh, just keep that in mind as you're celebrating. It's not all about burgers and hot dogs on the grill, so uh, let's think about that on, on Monday. So, um, yeah, thank you very much for uh, for tuning in. We've had great shows all this week with Peter Brown, the Chicken Doctor, uh, as well, and, and uh, the, really the whole nine yards, so we're glad that you can tune in today. Um, with uh, Richard, he has called in, so we'll go ahead and get on with the uh, with the show today. I know you want to learn about some root cellars and maybe how to build one, the different types, or how, what we can use them for. Really, the whole nine yards. And so we're going to go ahead and uh, bring him live. Let's give Richard a warm chicken whisper welcome. Hey, Richard, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, yeah, it's great. We uh, it's been a little while, but uh, we're back at it again. And again, yeah, I think we're we're good at least for the next uh, three months before I go on a, a, another tour up, kind of not towards your way. We came up to North Carolina, I guess, last year on on tour, and I think we're going to be hitting pretty much Virginia up towards Maine this fall. So uh, we'll be actually uh, coming through your area, but to get to where we're actually going to start the tour. <laughs> so, um, but if we, we come through again like we did last time, we can uh, have lunch together again like we did last time. But folks, Richard joins us the second and fourth Thursday of every month, and you love it when he's on. You love the topics he talks about which means you'll love his publication, Back Home Magazine. You can subscribe online, backhomemagazine.com, and uh, you can also get a phone number off of that website to call and talk to a real-life human being uh, that will be happy to take your order for a subscription. So uh, backhomemagazine.com. So I hope you've been doing well, um, Richard, and uh, we'll be talking about root cellars today. And I've already got a question. I've been pondering it uh, this morning and, and had a question uh, once we get to the answering or asking the, quite that proper question. Uh, and we talk about the different types and whatnot, but uh, I'll save it for when it's appropriate. But we're ready to take some notes and learn all about root cellars. Yeah, yeah, we did a little feature um, in our March-April issue on root cellars. And the reason for that was that uh, the particular woman who did the story for us in, uh, I think it was Illinois, they um, it uh, they built a very traditional uh, root cellar by digging a hole in the ground and um, and uh, uh, doing a, a, a real old-timey um, subterranean structure. And it takes a while to do that. I mean, they, they basically did it, didn't use a backhoe, I mean, they did it the old-fashioned way with a shovel. Um, and so we normally would... You know, we'd be talking about this kind of thing, about st- storing food and putting up preserves and uh, and things uh, in in the fall when you harvest season is. But uh, because we we did think that it was a kind of thing that some people may actually want to do themselves, uh, like the like the contributor did, um, we thought we would run it earlier in the year so people, if they really wanted to, they could think be thinking about it and spending the summer, you know, building it and and whatever. So. Um, that's why it showed up in March, but but most of this kind of activity is going to be done in the in the fall, the harvest season. You're going to be you're going to be uh, 
uh, culling out your potatoes and root, root crops and apples and um, and other you know other things for uh, uh, turnips and such for your for your longer longer term storage, and um, and they go into the cellar uh, at that time, and um, you know it doesn't um, it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be a a dedicated root cellar. People have used a lot of different methods of of putting up food. Um, other than uh, you know a traditional root cellar, you can you can use your basement. You can use um, a corner of the uh, of the uh, of a shed or something as long as it's cool. Uh, and the article sort of goes into that stuff, but we really wanted to focus on the on the traditional uses of the root cellar and and what goes in there. So. Um, so that's sort of what I'm going to be talking about more, more than anything today. Uh, what the reason for even bothering with the root cellar is just that it's a really um, good way and inexpensive way to store longer-term storage of, uh, of root crops. That was what it was originally intended to be, and you know, tur- turnips and uh, and potatoes and um, and some carrots. You disappeared for just a second. <laughs> yeah, that was. Uh, I'm not sure, quite sure what that was, but um, you know, we're, I'm back now. Um, Great. Yeah, this. Uh, these are traditional storage um, crops: uh, potatoes, carrots, turnips, beets, um, that kind of thing. But uh, just to broaden it up a little bit, uh, people put apples, and um, I mean, there's just a lot of there's just a lot of um, other options that you can uh, uh, use. You know, for uh, um, I'm just think of some of the examples that she was uh, was talking about here. Oh, things, yeah, even things like dairy products, milk, cream, butter, cheeses, um, nuts and grains, um, and of course the uh, peaches, apples, um, tomatoes and cabbage and such, such uh, and the more traditional things, the root crops that I just that I just mentioned. Um, but the point is, you can you can use a a uh, a passive storage like this without using any refrigerator or freezer or vacuum packing or canning or um, electricity or uh, any of the any of the other more modern um, ways of, of storing things you just basically uh, prepare your crop and store it in the in a cool dark environment which uh, is you know is basically a structure or a or a uh, or a uh, room or whatever that is that is generally partially or or in some cases completely underground. Um, this particular story is about uh, is about a uh, individual who who actually excava- excavated a, a an opening or hole in the ground basically. Um, let me see the the actual the actual size of the of the excavation was uh, a little more than five feet. Uh, all around, so it's not a big place. And then what he did was uh, was build up a um, a wall around there, and then and then uh, mounded earth on top of it with underneath a um, underneath a, a structure that was strong enough to a block wall basically was strong enough to uh, hold up the earth and uh, put beams across the top, and then and then uh, just covered it with earth. So it looks this particular one looks like a little mound in a field with a with a door in the in sort of a sub- mm-hmm. halfway submerged door in the uh, in the front, and a little couple steps going down. But it doesn't have to even be you know quite that complicated. A lot of people um, around this area here they use underneath the house. A lot of homes are built with uh, partial basements, but not finished, not 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 concrete right. basements, real walls, but just like a either a crawl space or or a um, glorified crawl space where you can just just you have a little access door from the outside and you can just go down a few steps and you know basically it's an under the house kind of thing where you could you know maybe access the plumbing and some other things and generally um a lot of times not even the entire house maybe just a you know portion of it um part of the house may be on a slab or on a small crawl space and then another part may be excavated where 
there might be a maybe a small furnace or a um, or a uh, you know some other plumbing related things maybe a pump you know pump uh, a pump or a pressure tank or something under there but the point of the the thing is that it's uh, that it's uh cool and damp and and um and accessible and so in in the space there um you know basically we'd be be assembling racks or shelves and uh that's exactly what this guy this guy did uh he and his wife really put together a nice little, a nice little, uh, several shelf um, set up with uh, with different levels for different kinds of crops, and that's basically what uh, you know what needs to be done to um, you know keep the preservation going, you know going uh, correctly. What happens is that when the um, when certain types of uh, of especially fruits like apples. Um, Peaches, tomatoes, and cabbage, as they as they are stored, they they it slows down the ripening process, but the ripening still occurs at, at a much slower rate, but it still happens. And when apples and cabbage and such ripen, they give off an ethylene gas. It's a, it's a natural ethylene uh, pr- production, just a just an off gassing. Um, and in in the in the um, process of that, they can um, discolor. Or, or impart a, uh, a flavor, or whatever, to to the other things that you're that you're also storing in there. So um, the point is, you want to really keep the off-gassing produce uh, to a minimum. Place it in a, in an, a part of the of the root cellar that the um, that it can't the gases can't get to the other the other crops being stored. And and probably the best way to do that is to provide a some kind of ventilation and this ventilation would be set up so that you don't you want a, a really don't want a whole lot of uh warmer air from the outside um going through there but you do want an, an opportunity for the gases to escape and so by putting the um the cabbage and the apples at a higher level near the vents um cool. it'll help let that gas out but still keep the apples and and such uh cool enough to uh to ripen slowly or to you know slow down the, the ripening process because really that's that's all you're doing. In fact, when you put things in a refrigerator, that's all you're doing is is sort of right. uh, suspending things in time. Um, and the temperatures, <laughs> you know, the temperatures slowing down here, the slowing down the rot process exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's and that's really and that's really um, what it is. It's, it's you know put it mildly. It's a it's a process of of rotting. Uh, you know, first it ripens and then it rots, and we're just catching it all before it gets to the to the rotting point. Um, and you know, just to put this in things in perspective, uh, potatoes and turnips and such they will keep for you know months, several months e- easily in in a properly properly cooled and ventilated cellar. Um, and these cellars, you know, like I said, do not have any refrigeration, any 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 mechanical refrigeration or anything. It's really just it's really just the temperature of the earth and the coolness from the either the earth or, or outside the earth that uh, you know the the climate outside the earth that. Um, that keeps the uh, temperatures uh, balanced inside the inside the um, root cellar. Um, you know, we're looking at we're looking at. Um, uh, let's see, let's look into some of the some of the temperatures in here. Um, you know, down in the 40s. I mean, uh, the low 40s. Um, in some climates, you can go you can go down to um, you know down into the upper 30s. But for the most part, you're going to be looking at you know looking at temperatures that are that are in the in the mid 40s, and that's really enough to um, you know enough to slow things down as far as ripening. And um, and there's a you know there's a other there's other little little uh, tricks um, to keep the uh, you know to keep this uh, this ripening process and deterioration process at, at bay. Um, you know, mainly the best the best temperatures that you want to be looking at. And a lot of this a lot of this is really more applicable to northern climates, but but they'll keep really quite well at between temperatures between 34 and you know just about freezing and 40 degrees. Um, and you can still be working in temperatures above 45 degrees, but uh, but as you get higher above the 45 degree level, it, you may develop uh, toughness in in the meat and uh, skins of some kind of foods. 
and in other types you may may incur sprouting. And once you know once something sprouts, it's going to eventually spoil. But uh, you know the whole point is to um, is to keep that sprouting and ripening process to a you know to a minimum. And so that that really means temperatures in the you know in the below 45 degree level and you know well below if if you can manage it. I mean high high higher 30s is um, you know is is really pretty you know pretty ideal. But it's you know milk and and cream and butter and such will keep very very nicely at um, at those temperatures you know the, in the upper 30s and uh, and um, if in some situations like in the deep south where you may just may not have the ability to you know keep those temperatures down low the potatoes and the and the root crops still will do will keep very well between harvest season and the time when you may want to use them which you know in most cases would be you know in the early early few months of the next year so you putting if you're putting your stuff up in um, in October uh, they'll keep you know pretty well into January and February if you're if you got and 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 beyond and if you've yeah no I was just going to stop you and had a question um in in the magazine in the article were were a lot of the root sellers that were were featured were they um uh, kind of think um, more. Did they raise the bar? Were there some basics? Were they just 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 dug a hole, and or were they all kind of in in, a, in under a house that had an area, or they were in a shed, or were they some just basic? Hey, I've got this shady spot over here in the yard. I'm just going to dig a hole and and put some of this produce in it. Because um, I asked that because of, of my question. I know it at our homestead, and we're in the deep south, so this may not even be feasible for a lot of things. But I know not one number two things. One, if I dug a hole no matter how wide or how deep, um, and uh, it, it did maintain a cooler temp, I know that I would have a horrendous time with ants and insects and bugs, and if it ever rained, it would probably then be flooded. So how, how are, what, was there anything in the article, Richard, that talked about dealing with insects and bugs and rodents and things like that, and, and also if you live in a moist or wet area or have a, a, a time of the season when, when you do get a lot of rain. Yeah, that, that, this particular article was really, was really solely about this, uh, this couple that built, that you know, excavated and then built uh, a, um, a site-built root cellar just in a field, basically, in, the, in their backyard. Uh, he had, you know, so, sort of a large, sort of um, a, a small small farm or, or a large, you know, very large uh, uh, yard. I, I don't know how many acres, but I mean, it's, it's you know, fairly small. Um, and in this case, he, you know, he, he built a block wall, uh, built a hole down, um, I think, probably about four feet deep. And then um, it, in his situation, the water did not come up from the ground. The water table is deep, low enough that it's, it's not, or deep mm-hmm. enough that it's not coming up from the bottom. And then the walls um, protected with the plastic, and so there's no leakage from the sides. And then he, put, okay. you know, enclosed the top with with uh, with uh, heavy rafters, and then some kind of um, some kind of plastic or whatever, and then put uh, earth on top of that. So it basically, didn't have too much water intrusion. Um, in a home, a normal home, you know, ideally you you shouldn't be having underneath in a crawl space or or a basement like that. You shouldn't really be having anything more than moisture. I mean, you know, do uh, if you've got flooding situations, it's really not good anyway. But you would you would probably know that. Um, and there's ways around that. I mean, you can you can seal, you could line the insides with with plastic, or or even go to the trouble of building up a a block or a um, or some type of other uh, barrier to keep your structure uh, water. You know, I wouldn't necessarily say waterproof, but you know, keep the water out of it. Um, but uh, yeah, the insects the insects uh, definitely there is a way to deal with that. Mainly, uh, they built a door. Or if you had an already existing structure, you would make sure the door is sealed, um, like a regular, like you, just like it would your home. I mean, basically with a with a weather strip seal, and make sure the door is square and and not warped, and um, and uh, you know when it closes, it closes good all around, and um, has a threshold that seals. And then in the vents, with the vents here for th- for for um, these things, uh, basically a screened. Uh, the, the vents can be any, you know, generally just a hole. It's Two holes, one in and one out, and basically the size of a heating register, maybe you know only maybe a couple inches yeah. a foot wide or and, and four inches high or sixteen inches wide and four inches high, um, or a round pipe that might be a twelve inch pipe, and uh, you would seal the um, obviously put a hood or some kind of covering on it so it wouldn't rain wouldn't come in or water wouldn't get in, and then the 
the uh, opening would be sealed with a screen so that you wouldn't have crawling insects and, you know, uh, flies coming in, laying larvae and all that kind of things. So, uh, you know, I'm sure there'll, there'll be the occasional cricket or whatever that will find its way in, and you can't really avoid that. But, you know, the point is to avoid, definitely avoid varmints, you know, like like um, rodents and, and um, you know, raccoons and things, obviously, get keep them out, and then snakes and all that. Certainly don't want that in there. But, uh, and flies, you know, you really don't want, those kind of larger insects, but I'm sure that I am sure that there's going to be, you know, some kind of a intrusion of yeah. some kind of, you know, basic small insects. But that's not that's just a nuisance more than anything sounds else. Sounds a lot. Sounds a lot, a lot like our um, our um, sounds a lot like our storm shelter we had installed. It's a it's a complete fiberglass unit, and it's got the door, of course, with the built-in steps and all of that. And when you lower it down, it's it, it seals basically just with a piece of rubber. Um, uh, weather stripping that the door actually is kind of spring loaded that sets down on that, and then the vents are very similar. It's a round vent, probably uh, eight inches round, and the screen it has on it, uh, tiny, tiny, tiny. Um, again, somewhere out, you know, and so it does. It does a pretty good job of keeping most of the. Of course, we'll have food down there, um, but it's um, to hopefully attract anything. But we'll still get, you know, the, the, the tiny spiders and things like that. I'll get the annual crawling, but tiny ones, and not a whole lot. So, uh, you know, comparing it to what we have already, kind of a, a storm shelter uh, with that type of setup, I can see how, uh, uh, of course, this is fiberglass, so it's already, you know, obviously water waterproof. And uh, But, yeah, the, the, the seal makes a lot of sense to me when I'm trying to figure out how to, if I did this, because uh, we do we do the fall garden and we do potatoes and turnips and rutabagas and things like that, um, and, and I'm sure carrots and a lot of the root root type of vegetables, um, and that of how I could I could do that, and um, and keep the bugs out and, and the water out. So I will just have to have to keep thinking about that and, and and figuring out that. So no worries. Yeah, no, that was my question that I was thinking yeah, about this morning. I'm gonna ask him about that. <laughs> It's it's uh, it's really uh, even a matter of trial and error because um, different situations everybody's situation is going to be a little different, but we do have and I, we reference in the article a couple of examples and and definitely some books. Uh, there's a classic text on this called uh, Root Cellaring. This book was written probably in 1975, but it's been in print ever since, and uh, it's probably the best book um, around on the subject. And then. In more recent times, different different uh, magazine articles and and other uh, uh, blogs and whatever people have had people have had um, commentary and based on their experience, uh, I think Mother Earth did a did a good feature a year or so ago on um, on what fruits and vegetables did best in in what situations as far as being stored in root cellars and uh, you know we we covered that in in our article too from uh, from our our back home uh, March April 2014 issue um, you know the 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 um, humidity levels are normally higher, uh, fairly high in a root cellar, but they will vary from floor to ceiling, and the temperatures will vary from floor to ceiling too. So, it, you know, we pretty we outline sort of what crops go, you know, root crops do better at the low at the low end of the building or the structure, um, and the um, and the uh, onions and garlic and and uh, some of the other uh, fruit fruit type crops will do better at a higher at a higher le- level, and ventilation is is sort of important um, because it will it will help dissipate the outgassing of that ethylene I mentioned before. Um, a lot of people have success without ventilation, but it's only because they're the cellars they have are, are leaky to begin with, as far as naturally leaky. They have drafts, so they're already ventilated, and they may not realize it, but they already are. Um, and some people, um, you know, they they think they're going to. Uh, Make a, say under, in a cellar in an existing basement or in a in a in a space under the house uh, may be drier than normal and and the cellar doesn't work as well because it's too dry um, in some climates and and so uh, the point would be to uh, you know help resolve some of that by I mean there's different ways of doing it, keeping keeping uh, a water source in there just an open an open bucket or something to keep the humidity high higher or to um, to just um, you know, hang wet wet towels or wet wet cloths or blankets or whatever on a on a uh, a small rack or something just to keep the humidity up. But in most cases, the humidity is going to be going to be okay or maybe even a little too high. So the ventilation is going to be even more necessary. So it's not really easy to um, to tell you 
there's no one size fits all where I where we can actually tell you what works best because it's really a matter of climate, size, um, you know, seasons, uh, and where you live. Um, ideally, uh, probably the best root cellars are in places where it where it gets really cold in the winter, uh, where the winter season is longer, and um, and it will things will keep longer. But you know, we have uh, I actually have an old older neighbor who is. Uh, past now, but he uh, used to buy potatoes from him, and he, you know, he'd have potatoes out of out of uh, growing season, and and basically, would, if I want a bushel of potatoes, I'd just ask him, and he'd go down in the cellar and uh, and pull out a, a bushel basket, and um, you know, bring them up, and they're, you know, they're not as not necessarily as clean and 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 hard as the ones that were shipped all the way from, you know, Idaho or something from the grocery store, but it, it's local produce, and um, it's you know, it's fresh and it's natural. And um, we're helping support the local economy by, you know, buying from people like like him. So, um, you know, we we do that. And, uh, you know, he stores some of this stuff at certain things he would store in in bedding, like straw, where it would keep better. Actually, in a bedding, um, in a bedding of straw or um, or other uh, peat moss or some sawdust. People put things in sawdust. Certain crops. I've seen people put things in peanut peanut husks, um, the shells from the peanuts, or in um, or in excelsior, which is that really finely chopped straw, um, uh, sawdust stuff. I, I'm, you know, excelsior is sort of a hard thing to get these days, but I've, I've seen it. Uh, bottle wine bottles sometimes are stored in it. You can you can sometimes get it from people who import, uh, you know, fine wines or whatever. Um, and also uh, uh, recyclable peanuts. You know, the, the the foam kind of peanuts. I've seen people put things in that. It doesn't retain so much water, but it does it does provide a, a surface area and a, a nice soft um, place to put the produce without um, you know without without. Sometimes it's important to keep certain crops from touching each other, so so you can put those you know packing peanuts is what it's the word I'm trying to think of. That's that's uh, yes. that's you know there that's stuff you can get anywhere. Um, but to put in put things on shelves and in and in. Um, at different levels and within bushel baskets or um, other other storage baskets, most of the best storage containers are going to be ventilated, uh, like what like what strawberries are kept in. Uh, you know those ventilated little little baskets, uh, whether they're plastic or whatever, but uh, they will let air get through. And um, and uh, the you know important thing is to keep the um, some things can be kept on the ground right on right on the dirt. And some things are better kept on shelves, but you you want to definitely have a shelf system that goes from the lowest level up to the highest level with a little bit of space in between. Everything in a root cellar, things can't be too tightly packed, or, or air circulation doesn't happen. And the air circulation is is pretty important uh, to for the longevity of the uh, of the of the produce. So, um, you know, essentially what what the uh, the Barneys did, and the name of the couple was Barney. They, um, you know, they basically they basically dug a um, dug a, a four foot hole that was about five feet on each side, and left a space for a, a, an opening. I think the door opening was somewhere about three, probably two and a half to three feet op- open, uh, 32, I guess it was the actual door, and um, and the uh, uh, the block walls were were made like regular conventional masonry block. I mean, he bought masonry block and or recycled them actually. He, he uh, got them, uh, re- reused them, and uh, use conventional masonry mortar and put the thing together. It doesn't have to be a work of art. It's just a you know a straight level, a a plumb level wall, four four walls with one of the walls having a door opening built into it. And he framed that out with uh, with um, treated lumber and then put a built a little door out of planks, or tongue and groove. Uh, uh, I'm not sure if it was one by fours or or two by fours, but he uh, but he you know made a, a little frame door and, and sealed and you know sealed it and uh, and it worked out well and didn't it really didn't use any insulation I mean a lot of a lot of people would think about maybe insulating the doors especially the door in uh, in in a warmer climate because you really don't want certainly don't want that door um, to be absorbing or letting in any of the hot air from the outside because that's really the only the only exposure to the outside is going to be the door it's a, the only thin exposure everything else is going to be a wall with earth around it so that's Pretty well protected. Um, if you protected the walls too much with insulation, then you, that cold air and cold climate from the outside wouldn't be able to get in as easily. So that's not a good idea. 
in certain situations it may be, but you know, it's, again, it's very climate specific. Um, but um, uh, in the, the other thing to point out is to not put, not face the door south. The door has to be facing north because a north-facing door is going to have the least exposure to the sunlight in it on it, and that's especially true for uh, you know for southern you know more southern climates where the where the temperatures are going to be. Uh, Possibly, you know, obviously freezing in in the in the winter, but it's not going to be always freezing for for very long. Uh, in areas here, even in even where I live, sometimes you know it'll be cold, certainly below freezing, and certainly down into the teens and and single digits. Uh, but it's not going to stay there for weeks at a time. In areas like Illinois, where this this couple lived, or other places in Idaho and Wisconsin and Michigan, the temperatures may may well stay. Uh, below freezing in the, in the 20s and certainly below that for you know for days at a time if not weeks at a time and um, in that case the the you know you'll you'll want to keep a little more pay a little more attention to insulated doors and and pay attention to to making sure the temperatures in the root cellar aren't aren't below freezing in which case you know you'd be keeping a thermometer in there which is always a good idea and be paying visits um, to see you know where the temperatures uh, are and make sure that they don't um, they don't get you know down to the freezing mark and stay there for very long. Um, uh, a good idea there, which I is actually not mentioned in the article, but it's I'll, I'll say it here is that they do make very inexpensive um, high low thermometers. They're they're recording thermometers. They're just uh, not yeah, I don't mean yeah. digital. Well, they, they do have digital ones too, but they're but they do make regular uh, visual I don't know what call analog type tubular mercury and red you know red fluid alcohol thermometers that you can read and it will it will mark it'll it'll register and mark and you can set it at the lowest point it went and at the highest point it went with a little sliding marker uh that will let you um you know read that and uh and so then you can keep yeah, a pretty dad, good record this, they work great my dad has one and it's it's really unique because it doesn't have a manual marker it's got whatever, I don't guess they use mercury anymore, whatever the fluid is inside the, the, the thermometer itself. And, and above it, it has a little, uh, obviously it's some type of metal um, rod. And it, it moves up and down with, uh, with that fluid. And then to reset it, you just add a little magnet and you, and you just slide it above the, the thermometer itself, above that little metal rod in there, and slide it back down to wherever the current temperature is. And you'll be able to go out and see as it, as it rises, it'll push that metal pin up, and you can see how high it got. And then the same thing the other on the low end, it pushes the the, the rod downward towards the the temperature. It's really neat. It's just it's a little magnet, and that metal piece is just pushed by the liquid, and you can see what the high and the low was. It's a pretty neat concept. Yeah, yeah. In fact, now that you said all that, I remember that was probably the same one I had. I I don't remember what happened to it. I I no longer have it, but. Um... It was a very inexpensive little wall-hung yeah. white plastic thing, and I think Taylor Instruments made it. Uh, they, you know, big, they're a big manufacturer of thermometers and, yeah. and instruments and stuff. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, I, and I do remember pushing. You have to reset it by just pushing a little thing that somehow releases that ball. I'm, I'm not. I don't remember exactly how it all worked, but I do remember it working very well. And I, I think, I think what happened was it was hanging on the wall in one of the uh, in the in the shop and one of the. Uh, cats knocked it down and broke it but other than that it would have lasted forever i'm sure uh, <laughs> you know it's, it's a kind of real simple thing that that just keeps on going but um you know it, it would be very nice to know in a situation like a root cellar to know where uh, how low the temperature was and how high it was so you can sort of make adjustments to your to your little building if uh, if things get too far in either extreme um you know but but this kind of thing i mean this this um this whole project, it took it, this. This gentleman was a principal at a at a high school, so he had pretty much had the summers off, um, uh, and so he so he's just made it his project that that summer to um, to build this thing, starting from just a, a flat field and a shovel and a measuring tape and his big work boots, and he just and he just <laughs> hand dug everything, and um, and you know it it doesn't look half bad. I mean, he really um, I probably would have made it a little bigger and made the do door a little smaller. Um, to help protect the, um, you know, keep more, get more earth around there, but, but you know, that's just a matter of preference. Uh, um, awesome. You know, a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, getting a hold of a book and reading up on it, and then just, a, just a little bit of web, internet surfing would, uh, would do a world of good to sort of read about how people's 
made their mistakes. I mean, I think you often learn more from people's mistakes than you do from their from their successes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, and especially people who live in climates, you know, a specific climate where they really want to know, you know, in 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 eastern Ohio, do I have, you know, what's the best deal? Anybody has anybody had any experience in Ohio with, you know, with, uh, with root cellars or whatever? And um, you know, I think that's really the you know the best uh, the best way to go about this kind of thing. But it really, um, you know, it really, it really sort of works. I mean, I, I keep, I don't have a root cellar myself, but I do keep, I do have a portion of my house. I have a garage that's that's attached to the house, but not, not right up into it. There's a there's a whole different, um, like a, a breeze. Uh, I wouldn't call it a breezeway, but it's a, uh, I don't know what you call it, a, a a building that connects the two. A little, a little pantry, I guess, is what it, is what it really was meant for, and that is. Um, not as insulated as the rest of the. That's where the laundry is and all, and the and the food storage and all that. So it so it does have a num a, a, a lower temperature in the in the winter than the rest of the house, and that's the place I've chosen to keep keep things that I really want to keep out of the light and out of the out of the um, heat, and I have dedicated cabinets and and um, you know wine racks and all that kind of stuff for the beer storage and the and the cabinets or the potatoes and the uh, and the things I want to keep cool. And um, you know it's 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 a sort of a dedicated place, and it really does work. I mean, I do not need to waste my other refrigerated space on that kind of stuff, and spend money on on keeping the refrigerator going for all that stuff because um, because I have a place to put the uh, the bulk things that I want to keep you know I want to keep uh, uh, for longer periods without refrigeration. I've got uh, got to go to a commercial break, uh, Richard. But I have some more questions uh, for when we come back after break. Uh, like, uh, did he add any any shelving? Is he, does he use a special type of bag? Is he using uh, pantyhose and hanging onions in it from 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 the sides and different things like that? You see when you talk about root cellars. So uh, when we come back, we'll talk about that. If if you line it with plastic, do you have to worry about? condensation um, with the heat of the day and the coolness of the night, and then uh, is, does he have shelves? Does he have uh, any type of uh, a way to, to hang, and is he using any type of specific holder or, or bag? So, folks, we're talking with Richard Frudenberger, publisher of Back Home Magazine today. We're talking all about root sellers. How cool is that? And uh, we will return after this short commercial break from our sponsors. <laughs> You've just entered a dimension of dirty water, a dimension of poop-filled water, a dimension of stagnant water. You've crossed into the dirty waterer zone. But up ahead is your signpost to cleaner water, the Bright Tap Chicken Waterer. The Bright Tap Waterer is fully covered. Chickens drink from special valves, so dirt and droppings can't get into the water. Chickens get sparkling clean water. You get less work. No poop-filled water pans for you to touch or wash out. Bright Tap, clean water made simple. Visit chickenwaterer.com to learn more. That's chickenwaterer.com. Established in 1957, GQF has become the name to trust when it comes to quality products and superior customer service. GQF offers a wide range of poultry products, including incubators, brooders, feeders, waters, and much, much more. Give them a call at 912-236-0651 or visit them online at gqfradio.com. That's GQFradio.com. Pictures of chickens on aprons are common across America, but picture a chicken wearing an apron and you'll probably get a good chuckle. Laugh if you must, but nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster and may even provide protection from an unexpected hawk attack. Hen Savers come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and standard sized hens and roosters. Colors include camo, denim, navy, brown, khaki or black, and soon pink. Crazy K Farm is expanding its already colorful hen saver collection to include the color pink. A portion of their sales will be donated to organizations that fund breast cancer research and awareness. Order your hen saver aprons today at hensaver.com. That's hensaver.com. 
Mount Healthy Hatcheries has been a hatching tradition for over 80 years. Home of the healthiest chicks, Mount Healthy Hatcheries offers a wide selection of bantams, turkeys, guineas, ducks, pheasants, and of course, meat birds and layers. Order online at mounthealthy.com, that's mthealthy.com, or give them a call at 1-800-451-5603. Don't forget to ask about their free bonus chicks offer. Mount Healthy Hatcheries, home of the healthiest chicks. Do you provide a heat source for your backyard chickens in the winter? In most cases, it's not necessary. But if you choose to provide a heat source for your backyard chickens, it's imperative to use a safe and effective heat source, and the only one I recommend is the Sweeter Heater. The Sweeter Heater is a safe, completely sealed, washable, non-breakable, energy-efficient, long-lasting and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three-year warranty. Ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater I recommend, the Sweeter Heater. Purchase the Sweeter Heater online at SweeterHeater.com. That's SweeterHeater.com. Actually, in reality, I am... Super Chicken! Alrighty, thanks for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, our guest Richard Frudenberger, publisher of Back Home Magazine. Visit them online, backhomemagazine.com. So, Richard, yeah, that was just, uh, again, you're talking about uh, the, the root cellars, and, you know, you have uh, this, this uh, pictures in your mind of the ones you've seen in the past and how things do. So is there is there anything that he's done as far as shelving or containers or, or uh, being able to hang, you know, the, 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 the world, you know, the famous... Uh, uh, hanging onions and pantyhose from 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 the root uh, uh, joists, th- things like that. Is what is he once you're down in there? Once how does he store this this uh, produce? Yeah, that's um, that's a good question. Um, yeah, the shelving is really just basic um, planking. I mean, it could be one by, it could be uh, you know one by uh, twelve shelves or you know one by ten shelving uh, or two by you know two by ten if you want to use a thicker board, um, and uh, and they're just they're just hung up. Uh, from the, you know, across the wall. I mean, from one wall to the other, it goes across, mm-hmm. and uh, several levels, several levels of shelving. But then, from the ceiling is definitely um, from the rafters. In this particular case, it was a you know heavy rafter system over, over the top with uh, with um, uh, plywood or tongue and groove uh, two bys, uh, you know, as a as a decking with earth on top of that. But from the rafters or from the overhead, just big hooks. Uh, uh, not huge. I mean, just just like uh, uh, sturdy eye hooks, and uh, uh, far enough apart that you can hang, you know, hang small quantities of bags. The the you know some some of the best bags are really the kind you you get oranges in with the they they definitely have to be ventilated. So you've got a nylon, or I'm not sure if they're nylon. I guess they're polyethylene um, bags about the size of a you know like a a bushel bag size with the the, the netted ba- netting bag, you know, netted bags, uh, and just put the, you know, put some of the stuff in there and just hang it from the from the hook, and that's really it. Uh, burlap is another good choice. It's not as it has it lets air in, but it's uh, you know like a coarse burlap would be would be okay for, you know, so, some things, um, and any or any other netting like the kind of, um, oh, I, I guess you can buy a, um, the kind of bags you use for, put delicate stuff in the washing machine. Sometimes people put uh, put their really delicate stuff in a little in a little netted bag first and zip it up, and then they can throw it in the washing so it doesn't get uh, all um, ripped up by the other clothes. Um, you know that kind of thing. There, but there definitely should be some uh, a container. If it's a bag, should have uh, a netted netting feature or a netted construction so that the air can get through. Uh, you know, air can get circulate through it. It should, definitely should not be a a, a plastic or a uh, or a um, you know black poly type bag that you put garbage in because that's not going to um, that's not going to work it's going to it's going to sweat and collect humidity inside and it's going to just make the food rot uh produce rot uh, much more quickly than than it would over you know over time um and as far as the you, i think you had another question on um on plastic lining on the walls i wasn't sure what the Con- uh, condensation built up with the heat of the day and the coolness of the nights the condensation yes 
Yeah, yeah. Well, that, the, the plastic is not necessarily on the inside. It's on the outside. I guess I didn't make that clear. Um, the plastic would would be uh, on the outside to keep um, to keep the water, uh, keep the any any seepage or or uh, moisture from coming into the building from the outside. Now, you, you certainly don't mind, uh, don't have any problem with just the average, you know, humidity or moisture coming through the walls. That's that's okay. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about flooding, you know, uh, rainwater right. situation where you where you might have a um, you might have a uh, where that structure is in the in the course of of a normal flow of water through the soil, you don't really want that to happen. So you could put um, you could put uh, plastic around the outside of the structure and then pile the earth around it, um, and the water will hit that plastic and just drop down and uh, find another another way to get around the little structure and, and on its way. Um, you know you can get you can get a little more complicated. You can put, actually put a drain board. There's a, actually a construction technique where you put plastic against the wall. And glue it on there with a with a black tar substance with a trowel, and then glue the plastic onto that. And then um, and then on the outside of that, you put a it's a board or a or a fabric that's actually meant to uh, let water. Once the water hits it, it drops down. It doesn't it doesn't let it go through as much as it it's pores, so it drops down to the bottom and then finds its way out, but but doesn't go into the building itself. Um, so the dirt's pushed pushed up against this this sort of filter fabric and the plastic and the uh, wood or concrete that the structure's made of, and then um, and then uh, uh, any any rainwater or, or seepage water that hits that will not find its way into the building, but finds just goes around it. Um, mm-hmm. If you're if you're not going to use block, if you're actually building it from scratch, you're not going to use block. The only other thing. You could you, well, you could build a poured concrete structure, which would be sort of expensive. Most people probably wouldn't do that unless they were in the construction business. But um, uh, the other option would be to use uh, uh, use um, something like treated lumber or railroad ties or something that has a natural affinity towards rot and uh, moisture rot. Uh, the only problem with treated lumber and railroad ties is that you you would be probably bringing some of the creosote from the railroad ties mm-hmm. and tar odor. And the treated lumber salts into the inside of the building with you, um, and it, you know, if it's ventilated, it probably wouldn't be a big deal. But um, a lot of people might want to think twice about that, so because uh, it definitely will have an odor to it. Um, I've I've built little storage places out of railroad ties or little uh, things, and it does in the sun, especially in the in the heat of the sun, it, it can it can start to off gas and give a sort of a smelly uh, smelly. Um, Aroma to the place, and you know, if you're storing food in there and such, you may not really want that. So I would, I would let me, think twice about that. Yeah. Let me ask another completely, if you want to call it ignorant newbie question, whatever, sitting here pondering. Um, would because I've never done it before, and and definitely don't have a knowledge about it. That's why you're on. Is um like our house was built in 1900. And a lot of the houses in our area that were built a long time ago have a uh, say a smoke house, a separate house, and the smoke house where they hung their ham or hung their meat or whatever. Now, um, is if you had this this cellar and you went out and I don't know, let's say you killed a hog or something, is that is, are we talking about apples and oranges here? Is it is that would that would that be an appropriate environment to to hang you know the meat, bacon, whatever the case may be, or is that totally different concept here? Oh yeah, no. Once it was once it was dressed and Cured. I mean, once you start, you know, once you start the process, and hogs are, as you probably know, um, there's a very specific process to um, to go through when you, uh, you know, temperature has to be cool enough, and certain things have to be right when, you know, you, you know, slaughtering and processing a hog is uh, sometimes a, you know, a family affair in a lot of communities, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of rural communities. But, you know, you have to do it a certain way. But once it's actually finished, to store mm-hmm. it, yes, absolutely, because you're gonna, you're in a situation where it's cooler. The humidity's, you know, uh, at the hot, at the upper part at least is going to be lower, and the um, and the um, and there's not going to be any varmints or bugs uh, in there to, to uh, be bothering it. So yeah, no, absolutely. Um, how that might work with the other stuff, you know, uh, storing in there, I don't know, but I really don't think that something like a meat half hanging up like that's going to be a real a real issue because I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of off gassing from the from the uh, okay. meat. 
you know, so basically what's hearing how that works. I have no no experience on on a, on a smokehouse or, or anything like that. So based on you know, once it's cured because of the, the temperature, it probably would be uh, probably would be okay. Very cool. Alrighty, um, I've got about five tills. There, is there anything um, else on your on your outline that you wanted to share that we haven't hit? Any topics, anything like that that you wanted to make sure you got across or or got the information out to our listeners? Um, you know, not not particularly. I'm just in construction. Um, if you if somebody was to build this from scratch, they would want to use, you know, like uh, if there's any fasteners like decking screws. You know, the the stuff, the galvanized or the or the anodized screws that are made to be outdoor use, not just your regular hardware stuff, um, you know, like the kind you use on, a, on an outdoor deck as opposed to just a, a wood screw. Um, or, and nails, of course, would be, would be you know, galvanized-type nails, so, so the, any, this is a higher moisture environment, so, you know, you want to have that kind of thing. Um, the other thing I didn't mention was the height. Uh, it does not, it's definitely not an 8-foot-tall deal. You don't really need to have it that tall because it's, it's going to uh, take more effort and cost in construction. Um, uh, of course, you don't want it too low either because it's not comfortable, and you wouldn't have the room, the vertical room for storage. Um, you could certainly go eight feet, but um, you know this this would do perfectly well at, at a uh, anywhere from a six a six foot to an eight foot height uh, on a building like this. Uh, and um, and I certainly wouldn't want to go much bigger than six by six uh, unless you already had a a structure that you know that size. But um, you really don't need to go a whole lot bigger unless you had a a larger need to, to you know larger family to feed or a larger if, uh, volume of food to you know to store. If but, you had um, if you had a if you had a larger area, I guess it would be uh, and you had the shelving down there, you may want I guess it would be the option if you had some things that you had canned in, in the ball mason jars that you like to keep cool when you you know some peaches or something like that that you just like to be at a cooler temperature when you open it up to have a summer snack or something. I, I guess there's no reason why you couldn't keep a few uh, uh, canned mason jars of, of peaches down there. Oh, absolutely not. No, that's per- perfectly fine. Um, you know that'd be that'd be a great a great place to to put your um, to put your canning canned goods and some of the other some of the other goods that didn't have to be um, you know, uh, uh, frozen. Uh, I mean, not not, and and also even canned goods like commercial canned goods. I mean, you could you could store you know the larger the bulk. Uh, a lot of people buy the larger containers of. Um, you know, I think we talked about bulk foods at some point in, yes, in the past is, yes. conversation. You know, buying a buying like a larger gallon size can of something or a number. I don't know. I forget the numbers of the cans, but something like a huge, you know, a huge can of something so you can store it longer term and you know that kind of thing you don't necessarily want to have in the kitchen pantry where where you're going to be accessing it every day but yeah there's you know, number 10 cans the there's number 10 yeah. cans for the, in, yeah. in, in, the institutional size cans. yeah <laughs> yeah and that's you know you could set aside a shelf or two for just that stuff and then your own own uh glass canned uh you know jar can stuff and uh, any other any other storage um um packs you might uh, a lot of people uh, use vacuum packing and they might put everything in a plastic tub and you could definitely set aside a couple shelves or a shelf or two for the uh, plastic tub and shove it in there and keep it on a shelf just keep it out of the uh, you know keep it out of the out of the house because you don't really need that kind of bulk stuff in the in the house um, but you know that's about all I really don't have it's it's a it's a pretty con- it's a pretty involved subject and uh, there's a lot to it and really can't cover it all in certainly in an hour and 15 minutes sure. but uh, you know it's um it's um, it's one that's really interesting, and it's, it's certainly not a bad idea. And anybody with a lot uh, can do it. Uh, it's, you know, just pretty much sounds like if you uh, have a home, quarter acre, eighth of an acre, or a tenth, of, whatever the case may be, you've got a little piece of ground out there. You can uh, you can you can do this. So um, tell us how uh, if they want to see um, if they want to get this issue. Um, uh, how they can order if they want to subscribe uh, yearly to Back Home Magazine. I know backhomemagazine.com is the website, but I can never remember the toll-free number. Uh, so if you can tell us the, the telephone number they can call if they like to do things talking to a human versus online. Yeah, yeah, the phone number is 800-992-2546. Um, and... Uh, we have online orders. We have people to talk to to take your order on the phone with a credit card, or, or you can mail it in. Uh, the address is, is online there. Um, and, um, yeah, this issue, this particular issue that, that this root seller was in is, is our March-April 2014 issue, uh, number 129. But we have had in the past um, a number of articles on root sellers and preparing foods for root sellers or what kind of foods do best in root seller storage. 
And something we just included in our lineup here that people may want to be uh, interested in is uh, we have our our uh, back issues available on our CD in uh, in a CD set or as individual CD collections uh, now, so people can actually order the uh, the CDs from uh, backhomemagazine.com and have have access to a searchable access to the all, all the old uh, back issues and um, it's like, digital uh, form. It's like a modern day microfilm or microfish. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I use it quite a bit when we research stuff. Uh, and I need to refer to an older article we did. It used to be I have to go to the index and flip through and try to find it that way. And you know, this way it's just really pop it in there and search for the word or the name I want, and up it comes. And then I know, you know, I can say issue number sixty-seven, two thousand three, whatever, you know, whatever it was. And then there it is. Now that that's something they can. I'm sure they can buy every issue that's ever been published, or can they buy certain years? Actually, uh, the old issues, the very first five years uh, or, or so, was we actually put them together. This is like a medieval type of uh, um, pre-digital kind of thing. This is the way magazines were published and put together in, in the you know back in the day. We actually had to <laughs> photo paste paste the images and the and the text onto boards and then they photographed the boards and prepared them at the printer and and did it that way and those are very difficult to convert to digital uh the the, the quality yeah. is so poor that we didn't want to we didn't want to insult people by doing it that way so those issues are available as physical issues well they're all available as physical issues but those older ones are only available as physical issues and we have a paper index to cover those early issues but everything um uh from our our issue number um, 38 up to present is available uh digitally on the with the CD so it's uh you know it's easier awesome. to do it that way that's pretty darn cool so well all right and uh well thank you very much Richard for coming on Richard joins us the second and fourth Thursday of every month we occasionally give away uh, yearly subscriptions to Back Home Magazine. We're probably about due to do that again, so maybe next time we have you on, we will uh, we will do that. But we hope you have a wonderful long weekend uh, and celebrate Memorial Day with family and friends. And we'll see you back here on the Chicken Whisper Show in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Okay. We'll uh, check the calendar and um, we'll talk uh, talk with you then. Yeah, that sounds great. Thank you again so much for coming on. That's Richard Frudenberger, publisher of Back Home Magazine. Visit him online. BackHomeMagazine.com Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at WareMFGE.com that's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C dot com. Or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Ware Manufacturing. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer here to tell you that if you have backyard poultry, nothing is more important than making sure your feathered friends are safe from infectious poultry diseases. Learn the simple steps to keep your birds healthy by visiting this website, healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. That's healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. A message from the USDA. All right, thanks for joining us today. And uh, go check out Cackle Hatchery as well. I mentioned them the other day. Uh, mentioned them uh, the other day. And uh, they've got a, a great selection, a full variety of uh, chicks that they are ready to ship out to you. Go visit Cackle Hatchery. Just Google them, Cackle Hatchery. And uh, I've known them folks for a long, long time. I remember they had a booth right next to mine back in 2010 at the Ohio National Poultry Show up in uh, up in Ohio, I believe that was uh, it wasn't Cleveland. Where was that? But they were right next to me, all the way back in 2010. So I've known them, and I've uh, I've talked with them over the years, and I've heard a lot of great things about Cackle Hatchery and the fact when they buy their breeding stock that they actually try to buy breeding stock that are very close to the uh, uh, the standard of that particular breed, which is it's a it's a bonus for everybody. Uh, that's all I've got to say. So uh, check them out, Cackle Hatchery. 
and uh, Google them and uh, tell them the Chicken Whisperer sent you. And take a look at all the uh, selection they have. Get you some baby chicks sent out to you. So got to love it. So that's going to wrap up another show, Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. We're glad you tuned in today. And again, uh, no show on Fridays, and we won't have a show this coming Monday. But Peter Brown, the Chicken Doctor, gave me his availability for next week. So we'll make sure we have him on since he won't be on Monday. And remember when you're out, barbecuing those weenies and those those uh, hamburgers and those steaks and baked beans and tater salad and coleslaw and all that good stuff, your sweet tea, um, make sure on Monday you uh, take a moment and remember uh, all the fallen soldiers that uh, allow you to cook those weenies and those burgers and the potato salad and and, uh, and hang out with your friends and, and family. So we want to send a special thought out to, uh, again, all the, all the soldiers that have gave the ultimate sacrifice for us uh, over the years. So we, uh, we thank you very, very much for that and all the families that are associated with them. So have a wonderful weekend, everybody. Again, we hope you'll uh, take some time to celebrate with family and friends, and uh, we'll see you back here more than likely on Tuesday. Uh, and we just may have Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor, instead of Monday, on Tuesday. So again, thank you very much for tuning in. Have a great weekend. God bless everybody.